You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. All right, good morning. I'm super excited to be here with you this morning, and in my excitement, I could start to talk really, really fast, but I'm going to try to slow down. But today we get to walk in the shoes of Samson. We're going to be in Judges 13 through 16. And as you can see, and I have a cute little timeline that I'm going to put up here for you guys to look at, but Judges is a 300-year time frame. And you can see it's kind of nestled here on the front side of this. We have Rahab. Remember, we just talked about her a couple of weeks ago. She had been rescued with Joshua from Jericho, and they're moving into the promised land. Next week, we have Ruth, and Greg will be out here to talk to you about that. But Judges is 21 chapters, and boy, there is a lot to learn in this story. With Samson, you're going to see that we don't have to walk very far before we're going to get the opportunity to learn something. So I think the hardest part for me as I was doing the study on this was to try to zero in on one key point or one main takeaway, plus all the context leading up to Samson. There's so much going on in this, but I'm going to scratch the surface and see what we can do. But before we go there, I really want to start this morning with a super important verse that we as Christians get the opportunity to stand on. And it comes in Hebrews 13, and it says, For he has said, I will never, who's he? Yes, okay. For he has said, I will never, under any circumstance, desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. So we take comfort and we are encouraged and can confidently say, the Lord is my helper in time of need. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Dying. I mean, we could stop right there, right? It is so good. It is so good. It's a powerful verse. And yet a will, a desire unsubmitted to the Lord will always lead to devastation. When you see this, what do you guys think of? It means there's danger. There's a problem. Something bad is going to happen if we don't pay attention to that. Anybody take a curve too fast? Yeah. You're going to see warning labels all around if you look, right? We'll see them on roads. We'll see them on food, beverages. Sometimes we'll see them even on movies or places that we visit. We'll have warning signs. Warnings are also in Scripture, if we'll look and pay attention to them. One that I recently bumped into came out of 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to this baby church and they are working through some struggles and he's trying to come alongside and help them. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, remember our history, friends, and be warned. He's like, you guys, our great, 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 great grandparents, they experienced God in the desert but experiencing God wasn't enough to the point that when they ran into temptation, they fell to it. And Paul says, these are, oh, he says, so be careful never to get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. He goes on to tell 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 them that these are warning signs. These are signals to let you know 
that there is danger. It is written on our hit, or man, I totally just butchered that whole. <laughs> this is important, so I'm going to hit this one. What he says is that these are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat the same mistake. So from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the book of Judges, we see these warnings that are given to mankind. And you can see the struggle that they are facing as they are getting the opportunity to use their free will. They struggle with the choice of who is going to define good and evil. Are they going to trust God? Are they going to trust themselves? And in the case of Samson, as all these people are moving into the promised land, are they going to trust the Canaanites, the Philistines and their culture and their worship practices? God is hoping that his people will listen to them or listen to him. He wants them to confront and confound the people. And I am falling in love with this word confound because it simply means to cause surprise or confusion in someone by acting in a way they didn't expect. And yet, as we move into the book of Judges, you're going to see a phrase that everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And the Israelite people, they ignore the warnings they compromise and to play it safe, they begin to worship or mix their worship of God with the Philistine Canaanite worship to the point where God saw the practices of the Canaanites as detestable. And I don't have time to go on this today. I, I wanted to because it was shocking to me. And so if you have time to go do a study, be careful. But if you want, go do a study on the worship practice of Baal. I think you are going to be shocked at how many of their practices are showing up as acceptable practices in our culture today. It's scary. So back in Samson's story, we find the Israelite people, they're intermingling with the Canaanites, the Philistines, and there's a cycle that begins to emerge in the book of Judges that we can see. So Israel would serve the Lord. And then Israel would fall into idolatry and sin. Israel would be enslaved to that sin. It gave to a point that they would cry out to the Lord. And then God would raise up a judge. Israel would be delivered. They would follow and serve the Lord again, only to get comfortable and slip right back into that cycle. But this history lays the critical framework for which Samson is talking to us today about. Because in the very beginning, so here I am in chapter 13, verse 1, the very first verse says, the Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. The word handed over means you wanted it your way. You've been warned, but you're going to still do it your way. How many parents can relate to that? (laughs) Not funny, but so after 40 years, after 40 years of enslavery, they cry out to the Lord and the Lord hears his cry because God is one that will always hear our cry. And he sends an angel to this really young, assuming, well, not young, but unassuming couple. And the angel tells him that you're going to have a son, 
but not just any son. You're going to have a special son with incredible strength. He is to be set apart. And in verse 4, we read, now, be, now please be careful to not eat or drink beer or wine or anything unclean, for indeed you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth and he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. So it's in this verse where the angel is talking to them and he's laying out some vows. He's like, you know, for Samson, he's going to have to do some things. No wine or other alcoholic beverages. You need to stay away from dead bodies. No cutting your hair. And you are to be set apart to look and act differently. And if he does this, he's going to get incredible strength, which is going to be a gift from God. So as chapter 13 moves along, sure enough, here Samson's mom has, the woman gives birth to a son and she names him Samson. The boy grew and the Lord blessed him. And then the spirit of the Lord began to direct him in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtoel. The word direct, I love this because it means to tap to nudge or to move. You ever been tapped by the Lord? Yeah? Okay. So based on the cycle, the one we just talked about, right? Now we have our Nazarite judge, and now what should come next? Deliverance, right? So here we go. Chapter 14 opens up. Samson is on his way to Timnah. He walks into the city and immediately... He sings a young Philistine woman and he turns around and walks right back out of the town, goes to his parents and says, hey, I saw this good looking young Philistine woman. Go get her for me as my wife. Can you, can you imagine? Okay, put yourself in his, sho- his parents' shoes. Here they were childless. They were visited by an angel twice, told that you're going to have a son with incredible power to the point where he's going to deliver the people from the Philistines, and he comes home and he says, hey, I've seen this young lady. She's a Philistine. Yeah, I know. But I want you to go get her for me as my wife. What would you do? (laughs) Well, like any caring parent, they try to talk him out of this rash decision. And here we see his response. Samson says, get her for me because I want her. I told you we're not going to have to walk very far because have you ever wanted something so bad that you'd do anything to have it? A desire so great you don't even want to consider whether or not you should have it? I know that I have done this with food. And the Lord tapped and nudged me, and he's like, Carrie, we're getting a little out of hand. Because I was 44 years old, and I would sleep at night, and my body would ache. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And God is like, I know. So I was like, my, my, I felt like I was being stretched from the insides, which, ugh, it's not fun. Um, my clothes were not fitting. They were uncomfortable. And in fact, I didn't even want to see myself in pictures anymore. So with some hard work and some discipline, I decided to change my habits. I began to exercise and eat healthy food. But I'll tell you what, there are times as I'm trying this new healthy lifestyle when something will go before my eyes like queso and chips. (laughs) 
And the next thing you know, I sound just like Samson. I want it. And I've done this with food and clothes. I mean, I'll see some good boots walk by and I'll be like, I want it. Okay, maybe you don't relate to me with food and shopping. But how about relationships? Have you ever wanted to be with someone to be a part of that group and be invited in? So bad. I want it. That you found yourself compromising or doing whatever would it it would take to make that happen. What about a belief system? Is there a thought, a desire, a concept that you're holding on to so tightly? My way of thinking, it has to be right. That you're not willing to take the time to actually see what God thinks about it? You know, some things can seem insignificant, but it's crazy how desire can override logic. And if we're not careful, it leads to hurting ourselves and it can hurt others that we care about deeply. And as we look around the world, do you see this happening? Do you see people looking at things right now and saying, I want it? There have been many times where just like the Israelites, like Samson and their circle, I have found myself enslaved to my own desires. And my fear is that we're going to repeat the same cycle. In fact, you guys, we are repeating the same cycle right now in America. It is crazy to me as I did this study and I saw this cycle in Samson's time, we're in the same cycle. Desire alone, divorced from the will of God, will ruin people's lives time after time. Because from the beginning of scriptures to the present day, this is the massive temptation that is being battled. Free will. Will I do God's will or my will? His will or my will? And as we move into chapter 14, we get to watch Samson. There's three interesting parts here that I want to point out. So back in Samson's, he he wants to marry this lady. He's got his mind made up. And so he's on the way to go visit. And the next thing you know, we find Samson. He's in a vineyard. And the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. And at the same time, a lion comes out roaring at him. And despite the fact that Samson has nothing in his hands to defend himself, he's able to destroy the lion. Interesting. Interesting. And then the next thing we see is that Samson's dad is in negotiations for this young bride with her family. But here we find Samson. He's over here and he's having a feast. He's preparing it with his new pagan friends, the Philistines. And yes, they are drinking because the word feast, it comes from the Hebrew word to drink. And then at the party, Samson is like, I got a riddle for you. And I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to figure it out. Well, they do with the the help of Samson's new young bride. And this makes Samson furious. He owes a huge debt. And to pay off the debt, he goes and kills 30 men to make it happen. See, it started small. I'm just going to head down to the city of Timnah. I want her. And now to the point 
where here in this section, we see vow after vow that he had made before the Lord broken. Because instead of abstaining from wine and alcoholic beverages, he's in a vineyard. Instead of remaining distant from corpses, he kills a lion and then 30 men. And instead of pursuing God's purpose to confront and confound the enemy, he's partying with them. Actions will follow what is in the heart. Samson slowly over time is removing God and he's putting his cravings of his eyes in the place. Remember that phrase? Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Samson isn't breaking the cycle, he's repeating it. For what purpose would we remove God? Would it be for a person, a party? Would it be for an opinion, safety, status, acceptance, revenge, comfort? Is there an area in your life that's off limits to God? Where are we blocking that still small voice that's trying to speak to us? See, the Lord's design for Samson paralleled his design for Israel. They were supposed to look and act differently. They were supposed to submit their will to God's will. In chapter 15, we see Samson. He's kind of cooled down after his killing spree. He goes back to this young wife because he wants to consummate the marriage. And he shows up and dad is like, dude, you are so angry. I thought you never would want to see her again. So I actually gave her to someone else which makes Samson furious all over again. And all the way through chapter 15, you can read about this revenge cycle that starts with Samson and the Philistines, and it is not good. But it includes like uh, foxes' tails being tied together with fiery torches. It involves fields being burned, people being burned. It isn't good. The Philistines want revenge so bad that they actually go to Samson's own people for his help. And they do. 3,000 Judean men go out to Samson and they're like, dude, what are you doing to us? Don't you realize that the Philistines rule over us? What have you done to us? They don't even realize that Samson is their deliverer. Despite being handed over, the spirit of the Lord is upon Samson. He is able to easily escape and in the process chooses to kill a thousand men. And then what he's done, he's like, I'm so tired. God, bring me some water before I die of thirst. Oh my gosh. Is he forgetting who he's talking to? My goodness sakes. And yet the Lord still provides for him. Have you guys ever watched a movie where you're watching the main character just spiral and spiral and spiral and you're like, oh, come on, get it together, you can do it. But here we are in the last chapter, chapter 16 with Samson's story and Samson again is ruled by his eyes. He heads off to a Philistine village and sure enough, another lady catches his eye but it's not for marrying, she's a prostitute. And while he's there with her, the Philistines hear about this 
And they're like, let's go capture him. But God, with his crazy, amazing strength over Samson, he's able to escape. But this time, as he leaves, he rips their massive city gate off the city, carries it all the way up the mountain, and I'm pretty sure he's not praising God as he goes. I think we're still talking about the same arrogant man that we just referenced a second ago. That's only in three verses right there we get the story. But then in chapter four, guess who we get to meet? Delilah. Women have been Samson's stumbling block all along. And if we're not careful, our emotions will pull us off track. And Samson's emotions have been all over the place. They're everywhere. But this time, it's all about love. Jim Wilder has this quote. It says, emotions are deeply rooted in who we are in our identity, in our character, but they too are conflictual. And if we try to live by our emotions, they will ruin our life. Emotions are information. Yes, we are to pay attention to them, but you cannot live by them alone. They will ruin your life. Samson's heart is set on this Philistine woman, but for Delilah, it is all about the money because she's been hired to find out Samson's secret. The Philistines keep asking this key question, where does he get his strength? What a powerful question. And despite that there's so many warning signs in this whole story, Samson is blind to them all. He reveals his secret, the last Nazarite vow that he has broken or hasn't broken. And he tells her, my hair has never been cut because I am a Nazarite to God from birth. If I'm shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. And that night as Samson sleeps, Delilah uses the knowledge and cuts off his hair. And in verse 20, we read that Samson was so far from God that when the Lord left him, he didn't even know. I think it's interesting to point out here that when he was talking to Delilah, he claims the title, but doesn't walk out the vow. He hadn't forgotten who he was, a Nazarite dedicated dedicated to the Lord to deliver the people. He was just refusing to live his life that way. And next we see that Samson is captured and they gouge out his eyes the very thing that's been causing him problems from the beginning and he's carried off to exile in Gaza. And it's ironic that through the loss of his eyesight that Samson's finally able to hear God. But at the end of his story, we find Samson. He's being brought out in front of a large crowd There's the Philistines out there. They're worshiping their God and they expect to be entertained by Samson. His hands are placed on pillars of the temple that support the roof. And in Psalms 145, we read, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Samson finally calls out to the Lord. And this is where the cycle in his life is broken. In desperation, 
we see his will finally submitted to the Lord. He acknowledges where his strength is coming from. Samson chooses to end his life along with the life of the lives of those enemies, the other 3,000 people when he brings down the roof. So there is a lot that we can learn from Samson. I, <laughs> I'm grateful his story is written in the scriptures. I would not want my story, if this was it, written in there. But I'm super grateful that it is. Because, you know, what we can see is that even though Samson misused his gifts, imagine the possibilities. If Samson had used the strength to glorify God. Because you see, he had strength like no other. Imagine, it's, it's, it's the kind of strength that for the Philistines, they kept asking, where is this coming from? Obviously, he didn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger because if, if he did, they would have known, right? But they kept asking, where do you get your strength? What if when they did ask, he would have told them about the one, who, the one true God who had given him the ability? Since his Nazarite vow, one of them was to stay away from dead bodies, perhaps that was, that's what God had intended all along. If he would have had the opportunity to change the situation, not by killing people, but by putting God on display in a mighty way. In the process of doing that, he would have liberated his own people and perhaps liberated the Philistines as well. We're only given a glimpse of the 20-year period of Samson's life. And I think we all agree that he led an imperfect light, a life, and yet, time after time, we see God can work with imperfect people. We see Samson's name in the New Testament with a lot of other people and they are all honored because all of them acknowledge that it was God who gives them the strength. Maybe for some of you here today, you've walked in under your own strength. You're trying to do everything on your own and you are tired. And maybe today is the opportunity to realize that just like Samson, I cannot do it alone. Maybe for some of us, we get the opportunity to stop and lift up our heads and look around to see if there is any warning signals in our life. And I'm going to ask you a question that I asked you earlier. Where are we blocking out that still, small voice of God, refusing to honestly consider what he has to say? if we would just take the time to go to the Lord in prayer, and I know we hear this often, but if we would take our time to go to the Lord in prayer and just posture ourselves in a way to where we are open, I promise you, you are going to hear the Lord whisper to you in ways that are almost audible. And you're gonna feel the Lord nudge you, move you, tap you, and you're going to get a chance to see and know him in a way that's more intimate than you've ever realized. 
Maybe for some of us today, we need to have people in our lives who can direct us where we are making mistakes. Because all throughout Samson's story, he is alone. He sees the Philistine woman in Timnah alone. He attacks and kills the lion alone. He arrives at the wedding alone. He strikes down the Philistines alone. He's subdued by Delilah alone. Last week, we talked about the importance of a real friend in our life. And that's a lot of times why we talk about life groups. Don't do life alone. See, throughout the book of Judges, Israel had a sin problem. Samson had a sin problem. Reading his story, I don't know about you, but I'm recognizing that if we don't pay attention to learn from his story, if we don't pay attention to our history, we could have the same problem. And yet God never abandoned Israel. He never abandoned Samson. He just waited until their bondage to sin was so great that they had to cry out. And over and over, we got to watch a faithful God just waiting to be called upon. And this is true for us as well. Because you know what? I know we're not perfect. I know we're going to miss the mark. We're going to take one step forward only to fall two steps back, right? And God is saying, it's okay. I'm just looking for a willing heart to submit to me. I'll take care and smooth off those rough edges. I got you. So maybe for some of us, we get the opportunity to come to terms with this simple yet life-changing truth. God is for you. So I want to go back to that verse in Hebrews one more time. For he has said, I will never under any circumstance, desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. Nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. So take comfort and are encouraged and can confidently say, the Lord is my helper in time of need. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You guys, this is what the gift of communion provides for us. Our faithful God is just waiting for us to cry out to release our will to his will. And so we're going to move towards communion this morning. If you have your elements, go ahead and grab them out. If not, just raise your hands. But this is a great opportunity to celebrate together. Because, you know, as the Old Testament ends with a promise that God is going to send a leader that will cover our failures one that can transform hearts and minds so that we can make the right choice. You know, Romans 8 says this, and I love this verse. You ready? The only lasting solution is to live on God's terms. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under any continuous low-lying black cloud. No power is in operation, or a new power is in operation. 
The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You guys, this is good news. This is good news because with it, Jesus addresses, he confronts, and he confounds the very evil that we all keep tripping under. Jesus says, I am the example. I will show you the way. I'll show you the path. And you know what? This path is loaded with grace and mercy. Jesus says, I know you're not perfect, but if you follow me, your imperfection, if you believe in me, will come my perfection. God is the one that closes the gap on that. And as new creations, we get the opportunity then to receive the Holy Spirit in us. He dwells in us and he will tap and nudge and move and he'll guide us. And if you don't know Jesus or you're like, I don't know how you're hearing him and I want to know more about that, we have people up here after service who would love to pray with you and talk with you. I'd love to talk with you about that. But I want to take a moment and I want to go to the table and remember what Jesus did. He is that promised deliverer. So the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And afterwards... In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for these stories, the fact that people wrote them down, for the warning signs that you've posted everywhere for us to see. God, you encourage us to not do life alone, to have other people with us. And at the same time, Lord, for those who follow you, we know that the Holy Spirit is within us. He will warn us. He will give us wisdom. God, I just pray as we think about the story, as we think about Samson's life, God, he was imperfect, but you are perfect. It's not about the fact that we have to do it, you will. And so, Lord, I just pray that for all of us, God, that this would just be a time where we could draw the line, come back to you, and recognize that it's through you in which we get our strength. And we say this in your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.